Support for Always Sunny in Chiefs Kingdom is brought to you by Manscaped. Thanks to listener participation over the last several months, Manscaped has been kind enough to sponsor the podcast. As long as people continue using our promo code SUNNYNKC to get 20% off their entire orders. So thanks to everyone who's helped us out so far. Uh, this is incredible. Check out this suggested intro for the ad read. With live sports being back, it's very possible that we may see an NBA playoff matchup between the Clippers and the Nuggets. So our partners at Manscaped want to make sure your Nuggets are safe as possible when they meet the Clippers. Ah, what wordplay, that's great. But for real, it's been amazing to be partners with them. I've been super impressed with their products. Per their ad copy, Manscaped is here to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. The Lawnmower 3.0 is the best hygiene tool for the modern man. Because of their ceramic blade and skin-safe technology, your snags will be reduced. They actually just released their Shears 2.0 nail kit, which is the perfect add-on to their lawnmower trimmer. The Shears 2.0 is a luxury four-piece nail kit featuring tempered stainless steel tools, and it includes slash-tipped tweezers, rounded point scissors, fingernail clippers, and a medium grit nail file. So get 20% off plus free shipping with the promo code SUNNYNKC at manscaped.com and take your grooming game to the next level. Now back to your regularly scheduled programming. So we got to decide, I mean, there are some fan bases that, that are out of contention immediately because they have no chill at all. And you <laughs> yeah, know most of them, right? Them. Well, most of them. But for sure, I mean, Titans fans, Titans fans have no chill. You would think that the Titans and their fans would have some level of chill. Yeah. They have no, they have no chill. Nashville, they're not relevant to anyone. You would feel like they would just kind of go with the flow. But they're like the most insane, obsessed fan base I've ever come across. Zero chill from the Titans. Uh, zero chill from the Bills. They're like famously no chill. I mean, they're they're yeah. like the craziest people. They, they pride themselves on their no chill. They do. I mean, jumping off of tables and Bills jumping Mafia. onto concrete. Bills Mafia. They're insane. Mafias aren't usually chill. No, no. Mafias definitely are not chill. And the Bills Mafia is definitely not chill. So they're definitely not the chillest fan base. No. I feel like, I mean... None of the AFC West no. fan bases, no, because the Chargers don't have a fan base, so they no. can't be the chillest. And the Broncos, I mean, you'd think like legal weed, the nice, cool Rocky Mountain air, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> you figure that they would be pretty chill. They have no chill. You know, Colorado's a pretty chill place. Broncos fans have zero chill. And Raiders fans. Obviously no chill there. No, no, not at all. I mean, they're violating their parole to go to football <laughs> games. No chill, no chill. They're no chill outside of football, and then they bring that no chill energy into football. So, so hear me out here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to propose the Minnesota Vikings, and here's yeah, one. Yeah, decent. So the Minnesota Vikings, part of, part of being chill is accepting that, like, you're <laughs> a perennial also ran, <laughs> and you, you, don't have the right, you don't have the right to jump in and give anybody else shit or you, you just you have to be chill because your team has never won a Super Bowl. You know, mm-hmm. you've been to the playoffs, but you, you are constantly having your, your playoff dreams crushed. Uh, Minnesota is so far, far north, it's practically Canada. We know that Canadians are very polite. You know, I feel like Minnesotans, for the most part, are also very polite people. You know, our friend Seth Kaiser, he's, he's very polite. He's very sure. chill. Literal chill, too. And literal chill chills all through our body in the great wide north. I feel like, off, just off the cuff, I think that's, that's in contention. I like that. I do. Uh, my first thought was a little bit more successful of a franchise than the Vikings, but chill attitude in the area. And I'm talking about the Seattle Seahawks. Um, I feel like they have this kind of Northwest attitude about them. And, you know, I've always kind of, I guess maybe part of that's also that I've, 
identified Seattle as a chill area of the country. Obviously, right now, maybe not so much, but um, as a mindset. And I think that they've won enough to where they don't feel like they have to bump butt into every conversation and defend themselves like some of these other also-ran franchises. So um, I, I was kind of thinking Seattle. But, you know, the thing with Seattle is, like, they are so unchilled towards each other. Like, their Seattle Seahawks Twitter is – it is nuts, yeah, right? They're constantly They're yeah. constantly eating each other alive. Now, I will agree, they are relatively chill when it comes to other fan bases, right? Like, Yeah, they're, never had a problem with them. Yeah, they're pretty – they're pretty chilled out. What about – what about, like, Bengals fans? Have you ever – did the Bengals have enough fans to be chill? Yeah, I don't know. I don't really know how I classify a Bengals fan. Like I don't, I don't either. I don't that's really, why I'm asking. I don't think I might have ever interacted with one. I don't know. And that I, I try and interact with as many NFL fans as I can, especially on Twitter and SB Nation. And yeah, you know, we we're, we try. But um, you know who I was thinking of, which might be a good candidate, especially these days, is Tampa Bay Bucks fans. Okay. Like, All right. They're in, you know, they're they're in Miami or not Miami. They're in uh, Florida, Tampa. And, yeah. yeah, well, you know, whatever. And they just like inherited basically the goat and Gronk and all these, you know, fun little like Tampa's like goat. the new. They've got a a Super Bowl coming up. They have won a Super Bowl, so they're at least not part of that. You know, yeah, that's bad true. Sacks and. Yeah. Uh, but I don't they know. didn't get I, too big-headed about it. Exactly, because they immediately went back in the tank as soon as they won the Super Bowl, so mm-hmm. they, they didn't have room to get big heads about it. Um, I don't know. I, I think maybe it'd be cool to be a Tampa Bay fan right now. Could be. Could be. You know, maybe uh, maybe a Cardinals fan. They seem pretty chill. You know, like out in the desert. Obviously, it's very yeah. hot there. But, you know, they're, they're in their AC. They got that blasted out. You know, they got <laughs> Cliff Kingsbury. He's Mr. Cool. Super you know, chill. Kyler Murray, he's super chill. He's got a super chill house. They got uh, you know, that could that could maybe be a candidate as well. Yeah. You know who will never be a candidate for this list, Taylor? The Chiefs. Is the Chiefs. Because we have Patrick Mahomes and you don't. Welcome in, everybody, to It's Always Sunny in Chiefs Kingdom. It is August 26, 2020. Thank you so much to our listener, Ian Freeman, at The Philosophian, for inspiring our opening this week. He DM'd us to ask us what we consider to be the chillest fan bases in the NFL. I think he was joking because he, Taylor, said that it was the 49ers, but he said (laughs) due to their pre- and post-Super Bowl banter, so I'm pretty sure that was a troll. They absolutely had no chill during the post-Super Bowl banter. They were chillish during the pre-Super Bowl banter, but zero chill after the Super Bowl. I guess we should introduce ourselves. This is a thing that we need to start doing on the show. I'm Austin. I'm Taylor. This is our podcast. If you're new to It's Always Sunny in Chiefs Kingdom, certainly go back and check out our previous episodes. We're almost into the season, Taylor. As we are recording this, the season is 15 days away. It is two weeks from tomorrow. We're recording this on a Wednesday. And... 
we have quite a bit of news as usual. Uh, be sure to check out our sponsors. You heard our ad read from Manscaped. We have had uh, great feedback from them that a lot of you are using our code, and we certainly do appreciate that. It helps us to bring the podcast to you. And also check out our sponsor on our parent website. That is SI Chiefs Arrowhead Report. You can follow them on Twitter at SI Chiefs. So, Taylor, this episode, we got a lot of news. So let's jump into it. News, 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 news. We do actually have a lot of good news this week, which hasn't always been the case in this offseason. But we have to start off with something that is um, not good news at all. Uh, there was another uh, police shooting in Wisconsin. The victim was an African-American man named Jacob Blake, who was shot seven times in the back during an incident earlier this week. And just today, uh, the 26th, the NBA which had a scheduled playoff game earlier today between the Milwaukee Bucks, who obviously play in Wisconsin, and the Orlando Magic, uh, ended up not playing that game. The Bucks decided that they were not going to play, and the Magic, instead of accepting a forfeit, also decided that they were not going to play. We had some other NBA playoff teams following suit, with the NBA eventually saying there are not going to be any games today. Sounds like there might not be any games tomorrow on the 27th. The Brewers, who obviously also play in Wisconsin, were playing the Reds. They also similarly decided not to play the Mariners and the Padres. The Mariners have the highest percentage of African-American players in Major League Baseball. They also made a decision that they were not going to play, and their opponent, the Padres, decided they were not going to take a forfeit, even in, you know, I mean, we're talking about in a playoff game and in a playoff hunt. So, listen, guys, before we get into this, I mean, I just want to, I just want to, add this caveat like we didn't start the podcast to talk about this stuff i wish we had the luxury to stick to sports as people like to say uh the reality is we live in a country where that is impossible for us to do uh there are are problems with this country and athletes are people that have their own beliefs about what those problems are and they have realized that they are also people who have a platform to do something about it and so whether you like it or not this is something that's going to continue to happen and what i wanted to talk about Taylor is just the possible ramifications for the NFL season, which obviously is kicking off in 15 days from the day that we're recording this with the chiefs playing the Texans at Arrowhead. Yeah. You know, regardless of your side of the the stance on everything, this, this is sticking to sports. This is a, this is very sports relevant right now in this country. Sports are kind of the microscope that this whole thing is being viewed through right now. Obviously they're, protests and all those things going on. But um, this is the biggest platform where this story has kind of impacted and you would be, you know, ignorant to try and talk about sports and not mention the thing that everyone is talking about that everyone is paying attention to right now. So, I mean, for the, for the stick to sports crowd, that's what we're doing. Yeah. And again, this is not how we would choose to spend our time on this podcast. In fact, we had a conversation late this afternoon about, you know, how we were going to cover it. And obviously, as this story has continued to progress, it's something that we just can't get away from. You as a listener, just using the Royal you, all of all of the people that listen to this podcast, I mean, you should be aware that, you know, whether you like it or not, whether you agree with their positions or not, you know, everybody on this football team that you root for uh, has an interest in this. And a lot of them have been speaking out about it, including Andy Reid, who decided to begin his press conference today. And if you've ever listened to an Andy Reid press conference, Taylor, you know how they all go. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about it's a 30-second statement, time's yours, and we go. Very boilerplate. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the guy's been doing press conferences for 20 years. He doesn't like talking to the media, okay? You know, he's not 
Greg Popovich, who also doesn't like talking to the media, but does love to speak out on social justice issues. But this was his statement today. I'm just going to read this. So this is how he began his presser. Listen, I'm just going to put in my 10 cents on the Jacob Blake situation. I think you guys know I'm into team. I'm into peace and people getting along. Right or wrong, we all need to join hands, man, here and make this world a place where we can go into each other's neighborhoods and be comfortable and that we appreciate life and how important it is, how hard it is to create life, something that really none of us are capable of doing and attest to. It's capable thing, or it's a precious thing, man. It's complicated. It is precious. We need to at this time. Everybody needs to come together and join hands, like I said, and love each other for what we are and the privilege that we have in this short period of time that we are on earth, as opposed to walking in fear, to walk with strength and pride and make this country the greatest place ever along with the world. We do that and will be a great example to the world. But my heart goes out to Jacob and his family in that situation. I don't know the whole story, but I hate seeing the way things are going right now. We're better than that. Absolutely better than that. Like I said, we respect each other and we're going to be in a great, great place. So that was the statement that Andy Reid chose to make before he turned questions over to reporters. He was not asked about this. He was not asked about this. You know, he's, he is a guy that, and certainly he has been asked about, you know, what the players are doing with Patrick Mahomes, you know, appearing in the Black Lives Matter video that the players put out. This was something that he did of his own accord. And, you know, Andy Reid is a 60-something-year-old white man. You know, he didn't have to come out and use to make the statement. Um, I mean, all I can say is, you know, when he speaks on football, on anything, we should be listening. Yeah, he's one of the brightest minds, not only in the game, but um, in the city. I mean, you know, he's a, he's a leader. He's a guy that has absolutely been a great example for every human that he's interacted with. Um, and, you know, he's just one of those strong, important voices that when he talks, you, you probably should listen. And this is no exception to that. It's, uh, it, it's impacting just like COVID. It's impacting everything. It's, it's something that you can't get away from just because you don't agree with the reasons that things are happening. You can't exactly. just bury your head in the sand and just say that, oh, I don't want anyone to talk about this because I don't think it's important. Well, if you say that a hundred times a day, guess what? Maybe you're the one who is mistaken on what it's important or not because everyone wants to talk about it. Yeah, we'll obviously be following this as it goes into the season, whether it does end up resulting in any delays or postponements of games. We're obviously going to see what happens over the next few days with the NBA. I saw a, a Wodge tweet, a Wodge bomb, that implied that the NBA bubble is in jeopardy because of this. Not just because of this. I guess the players are also tired of not being able to go to the strip club and order chicken wings and stuff like that. They've been in the bubble a long time. Yeah. I mean, the NBA playoffs are like months long. I mean, who, you know, I probably would get tired of hanging out at a resort too. Um, And, you know, strip clubs, whatever, (laughs) but uh, we'll see kind of how that progresses obviously with other sports. You know, the NFL has been unspeakably, just unbelievably lucky in the timing of how they have not, yeah. not just with COVID, but also with all of the social justice issues. It's like, okay, well, we don't start for 15 days. So I guess we'll see what the NBA and MLB do and, and we'll react to that and we'll adjust to that. So I think I saw a Pete Carroll quote that he said something about um, NFL games could absolutely be postponed or, or um, protested or something like that. It was kind of a, someone was tweeting about it and I wasn't quite sure where the source came from, but I mean, it, it's only two weeks away. It absolutely, you know, this thing, as we've seen with George Floyd, as we've seen with some of this other stuff, 
Breonna Taylor, it doesn't go away in two weeks. This is going to be something that will still be on everyone's minds by the time the NFL kicks off. Maybe by then the Chiefs and Texans to start and then the rest of the teams that following Sunday, maybe they've felt that there's been enough attention on it that they don't need to, you know, give up their first week or anything like that. But we just don't know at this point. We don't. And hopefully we get football, but obviously there are some things in life, um, whether we acknowledge it on a daily basis or not, that are more important than football. Let's get into the football news, though, Taylor. And we're going to start off with COVID news, but this is actually good news. It's good news. We have good COVID news for once. So we've got a couple of highlights here. First, the Chiefs had a practice at Arrowhead with fans for the season ticket holders. So uh, I didn't see any announcement about this beforehand. I guess I was a season ticket holder. They probably would have let me know. They did not feel free to, you know, inform me before this happened. I just woke up to a tweet about it. But they had a practice earlier this week with fans attending, about 2,000 fans, which is 2.6% of capacity at Arrowhead. There and zero. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, obviously, if you saw the tweets or the videos, they were very spaced out. They only had fans in the lower bowl. Um, but it was kind of a little bit of a preview of, you know, probably what the season is going to look like. The Chiefs announced – in the past week that they were playing a role with 22% capacity for the season. So that comes out to about 16,800 fans per game. And we talked a little bit last week about the pod system that they're maybe implementing. You probably have seen Taylor that the resale market is insane and tickets to opening day, which we had a few months ago for about 150, 200 bucks a pop are now going for eight or $900 a pop. Yeah. That's capitalism. So, sure. you know, they're also mandating, I believe I saw a minimum of four tickets per purchase. Yes. So there, you know, you've got to drop pods. Got to drop two grand if uh, if you're trying to go to that that game. It's crazy. It is crazy. And we've continued to get news coming out uh, about various uh, stadiums, teams that are either going to have fans in some capacity or are not going to have fans. The Chiefs, I think, are the first ones to have fans at their stadium during practice. They're the first team that I've seen to do that. And then we're playing in the first game of the season at Arrowhead. So Mm -hmm. it makes sense that the Chiefs are test driving this a little bit and kind of getting ready with the opener 15 days away. They did uh, announce, obviously, the capacity. This is the first team that I've I've seen, too, that have said, this is the capacity we're going to have for the season. And it sounds like, obviously, you know, with only 22% of the stadium full, 16,800 fans out of a stadium that seats almost 80,000 people seems like they're probably going to be able to do a decent job of social distancing, but we're just going to have to see how it goes. What's sad about it is that it, it won't be Arrowhead without the fans. No, not even close. I mean, it's, you know, one of the, if not the best home field advantage in, in football. I mean, no doubt about that. Loudest stadium in the NFL. Exactly. And it'll be, it won't be quite the same, obviously. Um, I trust that the Chiefs will be better prepared for that than other teams because they're better prepared for everything than other teams. And um, you know, it's going to be it's going to be weird, but we're just going to have to roll with it this year and hope by the time next season comes around that things are back to normal. You know, we are going to be raising a Super Bowl banner again next year, and the stadium hopefully will be full. We'll be playing on the first game of the season on Thursday night again in 2021. So at least we have that to look forward to, but it will be strange to see the stadium only a quarter full when the Chiefs raise the banner and pass out their Super Bowl rings in 15 days. 
Uh, in broader NFL news from COVID, there was super positive COVID news over the weekend. Uh, from August 12th to August 20th, Taylor, the NFL conducted 58,000 COVID tests, and they got six positives out of 58,000 tests, and none of those were players. So there was an incident over the weekend, which we should talk about, where there was a string of positive tests, which turned out to all be from one lab, and it turned out all 77 of those were false positives. But that was a little bit of a shock to the system because obviously all the information we had been receiving up to the news of those positive tests was that, you know, the numbers were low, obviously six positives out of 58,000 leading up to this big string of false positives over the weekend was certainly trending in the right direction. But I'll tell you, Taylor, I feel like this false positive scare, I think it's a good thing for the NFL. And here's why they had the opportunity to roll out their response and perfect it in a way that baseball clearly did not hmm. do yeah. when we had the early season situation snafu with the Marlins that kind of derailed the season for a while. And then obviously with the Cardinals a week after that, the NFL, it seemed like was pretty on the ball. They held players out of practice. They canceled practice for a few teams and they were able to confirm within 24 hours that all of these were false positives. They were able to rerun the tests and confirm that these were in fact false positives. Now, if this were to have happened on a Saturday during the season, that could have gotten pretty dicey. You know, uh, yeah. if Pat Mahomes' sample goes to the lab Gross. and they, they screw it up and they say Pat has COVID, Gross. first of all, we're all going to freak out. Yeah, okay? I'm freaking out right now. Just you hypothetically. <laughs> but on top of that, we're going to have Matt Moore or Chad Henney starting a quarterback the following day, which wouldn't be the end of the world. You know, Andy, Andy can do what Andy does. But it certainly was a little bit scary to see that. But – I think the experience that the NFL gets from this and how they respond to this is going to be really important going into the season. Just the opportunity to say, you know, these are what the protocols are. This is what they're going to look like when we implement them, when we have a positive test. And then the rapid response time and being able to determine that those were in fact false positives and get guys back out on the field. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I hope that they're ready for this because this is going to be the biggest test that they've ever faced. And as as a Chiefs fan, for being such an important season after that first ring, like really for establishing any sort of dynasty talk, dominance, all that, you know, like the, the Chiefs need this season to happen really bad. They and do. and I just I keep thinking about how everyone, you know, everyone's very negative, kind of, or at least a lot of fans have been negative about if the season's even going to finish and, oh, well, what will it matter by October when everything's canceled and blah, blah, blah. And I just, I, I just hope that the NFL has as good of a grip on this as I think they do because um, I, I can't, really, can't really accept a future where the Chiefs aren't hoisting another trophy here come up in February. It certainly seems like we're trending in the right direction for that to happen. And so let's hope that that does continue in the right direction. Something that is not <laughs> trending in the right direction. Nice. Mike Pinnell suspended for the first two games per field Yates. We did get an apology from Mike Pinnell that sort of shed some light on what he was suspended for. Sounds like it was for a banned substance. He said that he didn't know, you know, he didn't know how this happened, but he obviously, you know, like guys do when they test positive for a banned substance. Mm -hmm. I don't know how it got there, but I have <laughs> to take responsibility for what's in my body and I'm going to work hard to get back on the field. I'm paraphrasing, but this is the statement that every athlete puts yeah, out. When they we've heard that statement a million games. times. Yeah, we have. So the chiefs first two games on the schedule, obviously they have the Texans and then they go to the chargers. So they will mm -hmm. not have Mike Pinnell for either of those games. 
unfortunately for the Chiefs, I don't see either of those two games as being, you know, super relevant to Mike Pinnell. I mean, he's right. obviously known as a run stopper. You know, the the Texans have the corpse of David Johnson and a mediocre offensive line. It's not like they're the Titans rolling out there, you know, Derrick Henry. And then the Chargers, I, I mean, who knows? You know, Austin Eckler's a great back, but he's really more of a, a receiver out of the backfield, not much of a between-the-tackles guy. And who knows who the Chargers quarterback is even going to be. So. Right. It doesn't seem like a huge deal to me. What do you think? Do you think it's going to be Tyrod? I mean, just I know we're talking about Pinnell, but I yeah. I just feel like Tyrod's trending in the direction there. And with him, you know, Tyrod plus Eckler is a lot of outside the tackle stuff. It's a it lot is. of yeah. scrambling and, and it's a lot of screen passes to Eckler and stuff like that. And exactly like you're saying, while, while it could be effective against the Chiefs, not really something that we're going to say, damn, I wish we had it. Pinnell out there this week, you know, like that's not really his game. Yeah. Um, and certainly the first week with Deshaun and with those wide receivers and with, you know, David Johnson and Duke Johnson, just not really a lot of, even last year when there was Carlos Hyde a lot, that's more Pinnell's speed, but right um, for sure. But this is just not really something that um, I think if you're going to miss two games on the schedule of, of most of the, the guys that or most of the teams that the chiefs are going to be playing, I would have picked these two pretty top towards the list of the teams that if we're going to miss Mike for two games, these are the ones that we would have it. He'll still um, obviously come back for the big games early in the year against the Patriots and Ravens, two teams that you would yeah, absolutely the Ravens in week three, the Ravens week three for sure. And then, you know, from that point forward, he'll, he'll give a boost Cam. to the line. That'll be something yep. that um, with Clark and, Jones and then Mike coming back in there. Um, it'll the, the line will gel. I'm not too worried about the D line. Me neither. And I mean, to your point, I mean, I'm glad you brought up kind of the situation with the, the chargers with Tyrod and Eckler and kind of more of that outside speed. Uh, we got to see a little snippet of practice this past week from chiefs second round pick Willie Gay, who looked sure. Very fast Real and nice. yeah. very well equipped to deal with some of that sideline to sideline speed, some of that outside speed that we're going to see against the Chargers potentially. Uh, he looked like a fun player. So we're definitely going to be seeing him in the first couple of weeks. Doesn't sound like the Chiefs are going to miss Mike Pinnell all that much. We had a an article come out from Peter King. And he visited Chiefs camp. We've got finally now some reporters that are, you know, getting in, some national reporters that are getting in from the outside and going to camps. And there were several interesting tidbits in here, Taylor, that that I wanted to go over on the pod with you. Mm -hmm. So first is the Clyde Edwards-Hilaire hype, which I don't need to tell you about. (laughs) Nope. Nope, because I picked him number one overall. Now there is a caveat there that a lot of players like Christian McCaffrey and all them were kept. But the point is I had between – Saquon Barkley and Clyde in our fantasy draft. And I went with Clyde and I honestly, as much as I am a and Chiefs Camara, homer. Camara was available. Camara was available. Yeah. And as much as I am a Chiefs homer and as much as I, you know, like to have Chiefs on my team, I, I looked long and hard at both of those players and I, both being Saquon and Clyde. And I really feel like the offense was extremely important to me there. Just the fact that sure. Clyde will be in the Chiefs offense. Point, point being, I am all aboard the Clyde hype train and Peter King apparently is too. Did you read this article before you made that decision? 
I most certainly read this article and I was already locked into Clyde before I read the article. Mm, there was a little and... smoke screen going on before the draft yesterday, maybe. Yes. Yes. You didn't make I... it public until pretty late. No, no. I wanted but to see. But you knew for a while. Um, I wanted to see what the reaction by the number two guy was. If I said I was taking Saquon, I was just kind of reading the room a little bit. And uh, I, I was locked into Clyde from basically the moment that he started camp and, and Andy started talking really highly of him. And it just seemed like if I had, if I had given myself a reason to doubt him by somebody saying, Oh, I'm not quite sure he's picking it up or anything like that. I mean, it was, it was all, all love from the moment Clyde stepped on that practice field. And yeah, this, uh, the hype that Peter King um, talks about too. He just, he just looks like he's ready to hit the ground running and I'm super excited about that. Yeah, I'm just going to quote from this article because this this gives us a little taste of what we're going to see in 15 days. So Peter writes, on Thursday, Edwards Hilaire was back in the same spotlight. First three snaps of an 11-on-11 period, all handoffs to him. He ran a wheel route out of the backfield. Mahomes threw it slightly behind him, and the kid caught it in stride, one-handed, and headed <laughs> upfield like he's done this a thousand times before. Which he has. Built low to the ground with powerful-looking legs, sort of like Kareem Hunt, Edwards Hilaire could not have been more impressive in the two practices I saw. I say he'll be a stud, a prime candidate for Offensive Rookie of the Year. He appears a confident and sure runner who can make people miss, a better runner between the tackles than a five foot eight, two 209-pound guy should be, and a smooth and assured receiver. Veach told me, quote, he's on pace to have a big year to be our primary ball carrier. Now, we knew this. We obviously yeah. – I mean – Who else we're would not, be? We're not yeah. dumb. I mean, Damian's out. They spent a first-round pick on him. He's clearly the best guy, the most talented running back in the room. But for Brett Veach to come out and say he's on pace to have a big year, I mean, to be fair, Brett Veach has not ever had the best uh, poker face. Like, he's not <laughs> – No. You know, he's he's not shy about hyping up his guys, right? Uh, he called Patrick Mahomes the best player he had ever seen before Patrick Mahomes became a, the chief starter. But Still true. He, it, it was right. I mean, he, he nailed it. And so, Brett Veach, he doesn't miss when he no. gives these press clippings. Uh, so for him to say that Clyde is going to be the primary ball carrier, have a big year, got me going a little bit. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm, especially when, I mean, you, you have Peter King comparing him to Kareem Hunt, right? And right. we all remember what Kareem Hunt did in his first game as a rookie. Yeah. It was, it yep. was, it was unbelievable. Magical. Yep. And Andy has already said that Clyde looks like a better Brian Westbrook, which as, as close as Andy was to Brian who ran for him all those years in Philadelphia, I'm sure he probably reached out to Brian and said, dude, that is no slight to you. This is yeah, right. That's because Clyde is the real deal. And a first round pick on a running back is something that we've talked about with Andy before. Um, you know, LaShawn McCoy was the highest he had ever drafted a running back in the second round. Um, it's just, when Andy and Brett and those guys, when they tell you that if a player is good at football, I don't know why anyone would have any reason to doubt them at this point. They have just hit home run after home run on that front, on the talent evaluation front, and they're all in on this guy. And if, if Damien was around, I still think there would have been a good chance that Clyde would have been getting the lion's share pretty, you know, by pretty quick early into the season now that Damien is opted out, it's just going to be – he's going to get thrown in right away. And much like Kareem Hunt did when Spencer Ware went down early and it wasn't necessarily the plan when they drafted him for Kareem to be the guy right away. But clearly they saw something in him that worked out very well until the off-field stuff. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm 
all in on Clyde. Give me as much Clyde as we can, and I'm sure it's going to go great. We've had a consistent Clyde hype drumbeat for weeks now since Dame opted out. We talked about it last week with Lewis Riddick. We're talking about it this week with Brett Veach. I got to say, he's probably like the most hyped Chiefs player since Patrick Mahomes. And we know how that turned out. (laughs) Sure. If it turns out half that good, we're in great shape. Speaking of Pat, this is another little blurb in the Peter King article that I thought was pretty interesting. So he... Uh, he said in the article that they had been negotiating that contract for 18 months. Loved that. that contract was signed on July 6, 2020, which means they started talking in January 2019, probably the day after the Chiefs lost the AFC Championship game. Yeah. I mean, probably the night that they lost the AFC Championship game, which is crazy, Taylor, because the earliest that they could actually officially have signed him was March of 2020, which, you know, I mean – they started talking 12 months or 14 months before they even could sign him. So this is a contract that had been in the works for 18 months. We've talked about all of Brett Beach's cap wizardry, but this just gives you a little bit of a peek behind the curtain into how much planning actually goes into pulling off all these crazy things that he's been doing. Yeah. And also I think it, it says a lot about the attitude and the mindset of both Veach and Pat and all the agents and everyone involved in that in that negotiation because clearly they knew from the jump from the moment Pat got there that that was something that both sides were very interested in maintaining a long-term relationship and so you know 18 months before they could sign him to a 10-year deal they go ahead and start the conversation they're just it was obvious that they were just like look whatever both sides have to do to make sure that this thing lasts forever let's let's do that because it's it's just such a great marriage it's one of the best marriages i've ever seen in sports history between player and team and it's it's our guy he's the best player that's ever played that's ever stepped foot on any field and he's our guy we got another little blurb from peter king from the same article that said a chief's source inside the organization told them that Coleccio similarly agreed to his one-year $1.19 million deal in Kansas City in part because he's getting a block for Patrick Mahomes. This is something that we've talked about for months, that this would be something that we would see happen, you know, the veteran discounts. And I think in general that that phenomenon is a little bit overrated because most guys are going to take the most money. But we heard for at least one player, uh, potentially a very good player, who's going to be starting for the Chiefs at guard in two weeks, uh, did maybe take less money come to Kansas City specifically because of Patrick Mahomes. Well, and, I mean, you think all those extensions and all the, you know, I mean, even if they're not coming out and saying, yep, I'm here because of Pat, like every person that's signed on the dotted line since Pat took over in 2018 has had a large chunk of their mindset be related to being on the same team with with him. I mean, there's just no question about it. Even if even if they haven't come out like like this assembly, you know, deal and said that it's because of him, everyone knows he's playing a huge part there. Yeah, I mean, how could you not be constantly thinking about it? I mean, we constantly think about it as fans. Constantly. And we're just we're just thinking, we're just observing from a distance. I mean, we're just we're just watching the games on TV and we're consuming everything we can through social media. We love Patrick Mahomes more than any person on earth. And <laughs> we don't even know him personally. No. These guys are going into the locker room with him. They're on the field with him. They get to catch passes from him. Ugh. They get to 
or touchdowns. So when Patrick Mahomes throw, throws in the ball. I mean, I just I I can't imagine. I mean, we get glimpses of it, you know, every now and again with social media interactions or whether it be on you know the mic'd up segments, obviously like after the Super Bowl and everything like that. Um, when I think Austin Ryder came up and said, I fucking love you, man. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. You're the man. <laughs> I mean, it just is, it's such a, it's such a pure joy that these guys must have from getting I the love pumps. having Patrick Mahomes. What, what's that quote? On As my, on my team. team. Yeah, that's right. Jordan yeah. Lucas. Yeah. Yes. He no longer has Patrick Mahomes. You know, as quarterback, but this, this makes me wonder how dire of a situation do you have to have and how young do you have to be for the make a wish foundation? Because like, yeah, I don't know, I've got to go catch a touchdown from Pat. And I, I bet if I record a video and explain my life, that's, that's got to merit some sort of make a wish situation, right? Well, like, if you do the, the bovine Joni heist, you're <laughs> going to need a bald cap, but you're also going to have to shave your beard here. And you could do it, Taylor, with our products from Manscaped. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that is a perfect plug. Way to go, buddy. Boom. Uh, another little blurb here. We'll close out with this one from that Peter King article. Andy Reid gave a quote to Peter King on coaching, which I thought was really interesting. I'm fired up every day. I have a chance to do this. I love doing what I'm doing. I get to work for the Hunt family and I'm around great people. I'm going to keep doing it till I don't love it, I guess, or till they kick me out of the building. <laughs> I mean, he's never going to retire. He's he doesn't gonna, sound like a guy that's on his way out. Yeah. He's going to coach until he dies. I yeah. mean, like, uh, Imagine Andy Reid not loving football when Patrick Mahomes is his quarterback, mm. which he will be for at least the next 12 years. Mm. Okay. Or, or imagine Andy Reid getting kicked out of the building <laughs> when he drafted Patrick Mahomes and won us a Super Bowl. Right. I mean, it, it, what this quote said, Taylor, was I'm not leaving ever. It's the Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio scene, you know, <laughs> Wolf of Wall Street. We need to, we need somebody who's good. Maybe one of our birds of war that's good with uh, the audio visual can maybe, uh, Maybe pop Andy's head on there. They're going to need a wrecking ball. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that'd be great. Um, Brett Veach had a comment for the same article. And he said, with Patrick, coach knows his mind can be creative with no limitations. He's got a blank canvas and he can draw anything up because his quarterback can execute anything. Mm. Taylor, you and I had this conversation probably two and a half years ago, Mm -hmm. you know, before Patrick Mahomes was even the starter. And we had this exact, we had this exact conversation. We could probably go pull the receipts if we could. I'm sure we were at work, bored, talking in G chat, like we, we often do. And this is exactly it. This is, this is what we've been talking about for years. And Brett Beach is coming out and confirming it. Like Andy Reed is giddy. Like he gets to run, you know, you're talking about a guy who's a football lifer, who's been a head football coach and has called his own plays for 20 years in the NFL. And he's always scheming up new plays every single season, first game of the year, which again, two weeks from today, Mm. looking forward to it, buddy. Unbelievable. But every year he's scheming up new plays. And in the past, those plays have always been limited by his quarterback, whether that be Donovan McNabb, who certainly had a good run in Philly, or, you know, Alex Smith, Michael Vick, uh, for the couple of years that he was the Eagles starter, you know, whoever it's been, there have been limits to what Andy Reid can do. And now there just aren't. And you yeah. have to imagine like this is this is Andy Reid's Mozart's perfect painting, right? Like this is his this is his muse. This is his creative lifeblood. Yeah, it's uh it's funny because even with limitations, he's brilliant. 
You know, I mean, he stretches he every playbook to its absolute seams, and he, he does things that look just out of this world with normal talent. That's yeah, what he's Matt always Moore. done. Exactly. Any, you name it. If it's not Pat Mahomes, it's normal talent. And he has, he has made a career off of just getting the most out of everyone and, and absolutely stretching the limits as far as he can. And then he gets a super weapon after 20 years. It's one thing, you know, if Andy had been coaching Pat for 20 years and they had both, you know, kind of grown up together and people described it as, oh, yeah, Andy Reid, you know, he, he loves coaching football. I'd be like, yeah, no shit. Like, of course. He, <laughs> yeah, he right. Of course. I mean, it's, of course, Andy Reid's a, a mastermind on offense. He's got this guy. I mean, you know, it would be very easy to, to do that. But instead, you've got a guy that's never had a toy like this and has still been wildly successful the marriage between these two couldn't be more perfect. And as a, you know, as a head coach, Andy's got to be looking at this just going, Oh my God, like I'm, I'm going to have the advantage every game I play or every game I coach for the rest of my career. I mean, that's got to be so exhilarating. Yeah. And I mean, you can just tell in the way that he talks in the quotes that he's giving in the statement that he put out to to Peter King. I mean, he loves what he's doing. And I think for Andy too, I mean, it's always been, it's always been bigger than him, right? Like I think on some level, obviously he loves what he's doing and he's the head football coach. He gets to coach as long as he wants. I mean, he basically can continue to be the coach here until he wants to be like, until he decides to hang it up Mm -hmm. or he can't go because of his health. And I think, you know, I mean, the thing that we've talked about so often with Andy Reid too is like his fraternity in the NFL, you know I mean? He's going to stick around to see that Eric Bieniemy gets a head coaching job somewhere yeah. else besides Kansas city. You know, he'll do that for Mike Kafka. He'll do that for guys that probably that we aren't don't even, even know yet. Yeah. yeah. That, that aren't even in the organization yet. Probably. I mean, yep. if he coaches for another 10 years, you know, he might, he might produce another 10 NFL head coaches. Sure. And, you know, he's got to love that too, but it all goes back to the relationship that he has with Pat and boy, as Chiefs fans, ugh, I mean, what can you say? It's always it, sunny in Chiefs kingdom, bro. It, it is. And the, the one other thing that I love about Andy's situation now is that now that he's gotten the Super Bowl, now that he, he got that thing, he was, you know, dreading not ever having achieved in his coaching career, which has got to have been up until February that had to have kept him up some nights where he just thinks like, damn, what if I spent all this time of my life, you know, the biggest percentage I've ever spent on anything was coaching football. And what if I never win the big one? And now, now that he did that, you know, the scenario where he's chased out is just not there. It's just gone forever. And he can just relax and he can go out there and, and have fun and pull some crazy stuff off that he might've been, you know, maybe too um, cautious about. I, I never really thought of him much as a cautious coach, but he did kind of turtle up every now and then. And now he could just say, screw it. I mean, I have nothing to lose. I've already got my Super Bowl. Let's go out there and have fun. I love it. Speaking of screwing it, Taylor. This is not necessarily Chiefs news, but this is Chiefs adjacent, and we have to talk about it. So over the weekend, that that screwing works on multiple levels, by the way. It was a banger. Speaking of bangers, Taylor. Literally. (laughs) So the Ravens cut Earl Thomas, who famously was involved in a little uh, menage situation with his brother. An entanglement. uh, 
Yes, an entanglement, uh, les liaisons dangereux, if you will. <laughs> I will. <laughs> <laughs> that was just three short months ago, Taylor, that, that happened, by the way, if you can believe that. It literally wow. feels like it happened years ago. Three 2020 months ago, so. Yes, exactly. A decade three, ago. three 2020 months ago, which is a lifetime in normal times. So Earl Thomas, famously almost signing a deal with the Chiefs, he goes to the Baltimore Ravens who end up being our principal rival in the AFC this past season. He signs a four year deal, a mega contract, if you will, uh, after backing out essentially on a one year deal with the chiefs. And it's been a train wreck Taylor. And it ended with him being released over Mm. the weekend. Wow. And Earl Thomas is still a free agent. Pretty crazy. Yeah. And the chiefs went and got honey badger after they swung and missed on Earl Thomas. So like, I mean, talk about stars aligning. That is that that worked out extremely well for the red and gold, but and they got one Thornhill, and so, they got one Thornhill, and you know, I mean, things things have obviously and they not won a Super Bowl. And, <laughs> things you know, have obviously I mean, not looked better in Kansas City ever. Um, not too bad, not too. But bad. yeah, the the Earl Thomas cutting, and they cut him for cause detrimental to the team, which means they don't owe him his contract. Um, just a lot of it, it had to have been tumultuous. Baltimore had their their player leadership council as the driving force behind his release. So clearly, you know, that locker room, at least as far as Earl Thomas was concerned, was not a, um, not a fun place. And he got into a fight the probably, I think it was two days before they released him or maybe the day before and, you know, punched one of the other safeties and just, just very contentious there. So, um, you know, sucks to be Baltimore. Did you hear the, some of the things that were going on there? So like he, he was supposedly was missing practices like all the time. And one of the reasons he missed practice was to wash his car. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, unbelievable. I mean, can you imagine? I, it just is hard. And I listen, imagine listen, that I, happening here. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, my, my he, I had a whole thing. I had a preamble. There was a preamble there. I mean, we've been through some stuff. We've seen some, some bad locker rooms in Kansas city and we've seen some guys with egos and stuff like yeah. that, but like <laughs> we won the super bowl and now it's just hard to imagine. <laughs> it's hard to imagine a player in mm-hmm. on any team in the NFL, like being like, mm, nah, I'm not going to practice today, coach. <laughs> Hitting's not really my thing, coach. <laughs> Got to wash my car today. It's it's wild to me. And assuming the the Ravens are obviously going to try and recoup the money that they've guaranteed to him, that's part of the statement, you know, releasing him for conduct detrimental to the Ravens. But if they are not successful in recouping that money, they have like oh. a ten or fifteen million dollar dead cap hit in twenty twenty one when the cap might go down just to get rid of the guy. I mean, for a for a mega contender. Not for a fringe contender or not for a rebuilding team. Yeah, the second team. best team in the NFL. Exactly. And and that's the type of, of hit that you can't really afford to take when you're in those positions. That could be the difference between, you know, a one seed or a two seed or or I mean it's a it's yeah, a the monumental one seed is the buy. And exactly. every other seed is not the buy. Exactly. And and it could be a home field loss i mean you know one loss throughout the season as we detailed when we went through every game of the 2019 season that's right one loss could completely change your fate completely and if the ravens have a guy now that's going to start at safety that's barely had any experience in the nfl at all instead of earl thomas which regardless of what's going on with him personally is a really fine player i mean he's still you know very good 
he might, yeah, sure, he might get punked by Derrick Henry, but everyone gets punked by Derrick Henry. He's still a guy that I feel on the field contributes positively. Now, I know people are talking about, you know, well, who's going to sign him and would the Chiefs, would anyone, would you sign yeah, him, would you stuff do like that. I mean, I, I feel like it depends on a lot of factors with the specific team, not just a general would you, but like can the locker room take a guy in like that? Um, is the secondary in such need of a player with his talents that it maybe is worth the risk, you know, things like that. And I think specifically for the chiefs with both Thornhill and honey badger there and Dan Sorensen proving himself to be a very capable backup safety and who knows about the versatility of a guy like Legereus need or something like that. I don't really see the secondary as, or safety specifically as a group that's like, God, we need to patch this big hole or we're not going to win the Super Bowl. Like clearly they lost Thornhill and they patched it up last year and still won the Super Bowl. So it's no, I, I don't think long story short that I would as the chiefs now, would I, as any of these other teams out there? Yeah. You go through the other 31 teams and I'm sure there are some situations that Earl Thomas makes some sense. Kansas city is just not one. It's weird though, because I, uh, you know, you would think the teams that would, would be more willing to take on the risk in the locker room would be teams that could use the talent on the field to potentially win a championship. Yeah. The problem with that is that the Ravens were that team right. and they decided to cut they him yeah. and eat the dead money that they're going to eat on his contract in a year next year. That could be potentially pretty tight against the cap. It just is, uh, it's weird. I mean, obviously everybody expected him to already be a Dallas Cowboy. He's still yeah. a free agent. There's not really any buzz. You know, the last couple of days, this happened on Monday, I believe, that he was cut. It's now Wednesday. There really has not been any buzz about him signing with anybody. Nope, he hasn't really, like, met teams or done any of the stuff where you assume that yeah. a deal is imminent. Yeah. Yeah, and I, you know, when when he, when he it first happened, I, I tweeted, like, you know what, if he wants to come in for veteran minimum, okay. But right. – you know, the more I read about it, I mean, it, it's just hard to fathom. Now, the Chiefs have taken in, uh, you know, they've got some very vocal leaders in the locker room. This is why they brought in guys like Frank Clark and they brought in Tyron Matthew, you know, to light a fire on the defensive side of the ball, especially, you know, to get guys jacked up. But, I mean, Earl Thomas is in his 30s, right? Like, it's not like some loafing kid like Taco Charlton that you've got sure. coming in that, sure. you can, that you can coach up and teach, you know, teach them about this is the way that the NFL is and this is the effort level you need to put in. <laughs> Earl Thomas knows what effort level he needs to put in. He just isn't doing it. I mean, Yeah, that's, he's a Super Bowl champ. I mean, he's, he's a guy that, you know, when he, he goes into a locker room. Exactly. When he goes into a locker room, you're expecting him to be the leader. That's yes. like, yes. you know, that's why yes. they were, when they looked at a guy like him and they ended up going in the direction of Tyron Matthew, it's because the Chiefs were looking for a leader. And instead, Earl Thomas is your biggest locker room problem. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a huge red flag. That means that the guy obviously doesn't have his head in the game and, and a, lot of, a lot of stuff where, I mean, thank goodness that the Chiefs didn't sign him. Although you also kind of wonder – is any of this related to Baltimore? Is is that something where mm. if Earl Thomas had come to the Chiefs, mm. w- would he have had an altercation in the secondary? Would the Chiefs have cut him? Would that have been something that, you know, or is Baltimore facing that sort of like, we should be good. We haven't won a playoff game with this dope ass team that we have. Like, are we, you know, like, are they kind of feeling us? the pressure? Yeah. Is it us? Yeah. <laughs> exactly right. So who knows? 
we're going to be talking more about this as we get into the season. Starting with next week, we're going to be kind of trying to preview games and break things down. Uh, the Ravens did announce that they're not going to have any fans for the early part of the season, at least. So that presumably would include week three when the Chiefs travel to Baltimore, which means they are not going to face potentially any crowd noise at all unless they're going to, you know, to pipe in crowd noise, which, you know, I think that's something that's still kind of up in the air. Yeah. Uh, but we'll break that down starting, I think, next week. We are going to close this out, Taylor. We've been hyping this for weeks, and I can only hope that this lives up to the hype because <laughs> our man, Corey, uh, go follow him on Twitter, at Corey04, one of our Birds of War inaugural caca. Caca! Go buy his art. Do whatever you can to support Corey. He's yeah, the supporting artist us. Fact, he's the best. He's doing a giveaway right now, which we should probably mention to people yeah. to support us. Yes. He actually is giving away one of his dope paintings, a print, if you uh, read and or if you subscribe and review and you post a screenshot of your five-star review for this podcast, you are entered into contention for that. So Corey, we love you, man. We appreciate what you're doing. Here's the question, Taylor. Since we get a lot of your music takes, he was talking to me on here. I got a question for the podcast for all 32 NFL teams. What is their rock band equivalent? Hashtag Kaka, hashtag flock. Yeah. Corey, gave me this question a couple of weeks ago and I mentioned I was on vacation last week the week before that I, I don't know it, it just seemed too big this was a massive undertaking and I'll tell you Corey I hate to disappoint you I still only did the AFC because 32 <laughs> teams was an incredible number but I've got rock band equivalents for every one of the AFC teams we're going to kick this off right now with the AFC East and I'm just going to trigger people right off the bat Taylor I'm going to trigger people. People that follow me on Twitter are not going to be surprised by this pick, but let's start with the New England Patriots. That's Led Zeppelin. It's no secret, Taylor, that I'm not a huge fan of Led Zeppelin, nor am I a huge fan of the New England Patriots. You know why? Because they're both cheaters, Taylor. Led Zeppelin blatantly stole some of their best songs. If you don't believe me, go listen to You Need Loving by the Small Faces. It's going to sound familiar to you because it is a whole lot of love. They literally ripped off all of the lyrics and the musical stylings of Steve Marriott, the lead singer of the Small Faces. And New England, on the other hand, we all know. We all know what New England did. They stole signs. They taped practices. They deflated balls. They cheated. On the other hand, Taylor, Led Zeppelin and the Patriots have another thing in common, which is that they have been tremendously successful and are considered by many people to be the greatest of all time, whether it be Tom Brady, whether it be Bill Belichick, whether it be Jimmy Page or Robert Plant, whatever. So they have experienced immense success and popularity, but it's totally undeserved. So Patriots, Led Zeppelin. The Jets, the Jets. Taylor, let's talk about the Jets. The Jets are Thunderclap Newman. Have you ever heard about Thunderclap Newman? Do you, I've you heard familiar? of Thunderclap Newman, but I have no idea why. It just It's not the first time I've heard that. So they had a one hit in 1969 with a song called Something in the Air, famously featured in Almost Famous, produced oh. by the Who's Pete Townshend. Nice. <laughs> I'm not going to sing it, but Thunderclap Newman – Big hit, something in the air, 1969, never heard from again. Much like the Jets, who oh, won nice. Super Bowl three in mm-hmm. 1969 and have never been heard from again. Love it. Boom the Buffalo roasted. Bills. Boom <laughs> roasted. The Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills, Taylor, are Buffalo native Brian McKnight. Have you ever heard of Brian McKnight? Of course I've heard of Brian McKnight, yeah. Well, Brian McKnight has the second most Grammy nominations of any musical artist, Taylor, without a win. And the Bills, as you know, went to four straight Super Bowls without a win. Mm. So they like Buffalo native mm. Brian McKnight. That's good. always the bridesmaid, never the bride. The Dolphins, the Dolphins, Taylor, are Don McLean. 
who in 1972 produced one of the greatest, best-known songs of all time, American Pie. That was the same year the Miami Dolphins accomplished a feat that has never been done before or since. They went undefeated and won the Super Bowl, 17-0, the only undefeated season in NFL history. But much like Don McLean Taylor, the Dolphins could never really replicate that success. They could never reach that pinnacle again. So the Dolphins are Don McLean. Now the AFC North, I got to admit, Taylor, I got a little bit lazy with this division. We'll start with the Ravens. The Ravens are a uh, Southern rock band, or excuse me, California rock band, the Birds. Yeah, what can I say? I got sure. lazy on that one. It's birds. Fine. Ravens, Birds, it's fine. The Steelers, Steelers, Steel City need something metal, right? You know, you got, yeah. you got the steel imagery, you know, Pittsburgh, big, big foundry, industrial city. Uh, so something that's metal that's been around for a really long time and been very successful, Steelers and Metallica. We'll lock that in. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. The, the Bengals, Taylor. <laughs> I wasn't really sure where to go on this one. So I Googled bands from Cincinnati and I discovered that there's a band called the Ass Ponies. <laughs> so that's the Cincinnati Bengals. That's all you Bengals. need there. <laughs> that's all I need to know. The Ass Ponies are the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, apologies to any Ass Pony fans out there. I'm about I'm, to pull them up on our on music and listen to yeah, them. Yeah, sure. We'll, we'll pop that on a Spotify. You know, maybe, uh, maybe we can risk the uh, copyright infringement lawsuit and just play a little outro music from the Ass Ponies. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, the Browns, Taylor. Now, this was a tough one. And ultimately, I decided not to go with a musical group, but rather a sound. And that sound is the brown note. Yes. Yes. I was, that's perfect. (laughs) For those of you unfamiliar with the brown note, this is a mythical note that is played that causes humans to defecate themselves. And that, that really is all we can say about the Cleveland Browns. Brown note for the Browns. That's incredible. So let's roll into the AFC South and this this one, the Colts maybe is going to shock you a little bit because I know this is a band that you love and whatever. We're not crazy about the Colts. Corey, I got to admit, this is a tough exercise because I like a lot of musical groups, but there's like three NFL teams that I like and the ones that aren't the Chiefs are all in the NFC, which I didn't do. <laughs> so the Colts are queen and hear me out nice. on this. Okay. So I don't need to tell you about Queen with Freddie Mercury. Obviously, you know, one of the greatest bands of all time. Right. Freddie, incredible front man. That's the Colts with Johnny Unitas and then, you know, Peyton Manning, right? Like these legendary all-time greats. But for those of you who don't know, Queen came back after Freddie Mercury passed away, tragically. Uh, Complications from AIDS. They reunited in the early 2000s as Queen plus Paul Rogers. Yeah, Paul Rogers, Taylor. I don't know if you're familiar with Paul Rogers. You have definitely heard him. He was in the band Free. They had a big hit called All Right Now. He was in Bad Company. Yep. He was in a band called The Firm with Jimmy Page. Check out Radioactive. You know I hate Led Zeppelin and I hate Jimmy Page, but that's a pretty dope song. And then after Paul Rogers' thing kind of sort of ran its course as the front man of Queen, they rolled out Adam Lambert, who was a former American Idol contestant and is awesome, by the way. He's not Freddie Mercury, but I did see Queen with Adam Lambert in Kansas City a few years ago, and it was, it was very good. So that's the post-Manning Mercury era. Is the, is the Queen Plus era. The Queen sure. Plus Paul Rogers. The Queen Plus Adam Lambert. You know, it's still pretty good. Now, is Andrew you know? Luck Paul Rogers or Adam Lambert? He is Adam Lambert. Yeah. And this, this one doesn't quite line up with the chronology exactly because, you know, chronologically, uh, you know, Adam Lambert, Andrew Luck, 
Luck came first, Lambert second. Paul Rogers is for sure Philip Rivers in this analogy. All right? nice. he's, yeah. he's the old, sure. crusty sure. rock veteran who came in. Whereas, you know, Adam Lambert, more of a young gun, you know, he was still in his 20s when he kind of is fronting Queen and, you know, still pretty good, but definitely not greatest of all time good. Adam Lambert, Andrew Luck, same initials. That's true. Exactly right. So see, look, this worked on a lot of levels. I'm glad that that, I'm glad that that worked out. The Jaguars, Taylor. Now the Jaguars, I wanted to go with this band called Steel Panther. Okay. Okay. Which my, which my brain remembered as the fictional rock band from the 2001 Mark Wahlberg film, Rockstar. Have you seen that movie? Uh, I haven't. Okay. I I know you've seen a lot of movies. Yeah. And I know you, you're probably a pretty big Marky Mark fan, right? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a, he's all right. I don't dislike him. Okay. So I wanted to make the Jaguars Steel Panther, which I remembered as being the band from this fictional movie. It's actually based on a true story about a tribute band singer who became the lead singer of Judas Priest. Uh, but hmm. the adaptation, it, it falls a little flat, Taylor. It turns out that my memory was faulty, and the band in that movie is actually called Steel Dragon. Oh. <laughs> uh, Steel Panther is actually a real band that was originally called Metal School with a K and then changed their name to Steel Panther in 2008. Uh, anyway, I, there's something in here about, uh, you know, how the Jags are forgettable and Steel Panther and Rockstar are also forgettable. Just, 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 go, just with go with it. Just accept just, it. Just accept it. Steel Panther okay. for the Jags. Okay. So the Texans, <laughs> obviously for the Texans, we need someone with immense talent who has been foiled by extremely incompetent management. And so the Texans are Billy Joel. Ooh. So I love... I love Billy Joel. We, we, we both rock out to the Billy Joel. You know, of course. Good, good songs. Great artist. Very talented. Uh, another guy that I've seen live at the Sprint Center. Terrific show. Great artist. I also love Deshaun Watson, Taylor. I mean, yeah, me same too. reason. Very, very talented. Fun player to watch. You know, I, there's not a lot of guys that I enjoy watching outside of Chiefs players and Patrick Mahomes. I mean, like, especially quarterbacks. You know, like, who else could I enjoy watching? <laughs> Yeah. When, when I'm watching the greatest quarterback of all time, but same reason. So Billy Joel and Sean Watson have a similarly tragic story when it comes to their management. Billy Joel's manager, Frank Weber, basically embezzled like a hundred million dollars from him in the eighties and got his nuts sued off by Billy Joel, who basically went broke and then had to build up his, uh, his riches once again in the nineties, the Texans general manager, Bill O'Brien, similarly did the same for the Texans franchise. Let's just, Let's just leave it at that. Oh, yeah. Gross mismanagement. Good, good Gross comment. mismanagement. So that's the parallel there. The Titans, so I was at a loss. This this team, like the Jags, I actually I didn't have a list of all the teams in the NFL pulled up, and it took me a good 45 seconds to remember the fourth team in the AFC South. <laughs> it is the Tennessee Titans, who are based in Nashville. Music. And so I – I Googled, it is the music city, but surprisingly, not a lot of native artists from there are very good. It's huh. all people that move there from far away that it's like Nashville is the music city. It's a little bit like Los Angeles in that regard. Sure. So the, the Titans are Nashville-based Christian rock band, Bleach. Okay? Okay. I'm going to explain. I'm going to explain. I'll defend. I have never heard any of this band's music, and I do not care to ever hear any of their music. Same. And I I did not know that they existed and I probably will instantly forget as soon as this podcast is over that they do exist. You'll certainly remember the ass ponies longer than you'll remember bleach. (laughs) I will remember the ass ponies much longer than I will remember bleach (laughs) and, and the Titans as the most forgettable team in a division that also includes the Jacksonville Jaguars 
They are Christian rock band Bleach. I like it. Now, Taylor, we come to the AFC West. The creme de la creme. The creme de la creme, at least the cream that has risen to the top. We'll get to them last. We're going to start with the Chargers. And the Chargers, Taylor, and don't get me wrong, I enjoy this artist, or at least her one hit, but the Chargers are Carly Rae Jepsen. (laughs) I I know you know Carly Rae Jepsen. Of course. Canadian one-hit wonder with Call Me Maybe. So the Chargers' whole career is basically Carly Rae Jepsen, right? They had the equivalent, Carly Rae Jepsen's equivalent of an ASC championship appearance was Call Me Maybe, right? You know, you got yeah. a you got a, a nice pop hit for, you know, the majority of one summer. People still kind of remember it, but you didn't hit it out of the park completely. You didn't win the title with Call Me Maybe. And the Chargers, of course, have never won a title or anything. And the equivalent of the Chargers' whole existence is Carly Rae Jepsen knocking it out of the park, or almost to the warning track, we'll say, not quite out of the park, with Call Me Maybe. And then three years later, playing a gig in Toronto to which 40 people showed up, Taylor. 40 people. Oh, no. That happened to Carly Rae Jepsen. It happens constantly to the Chargers. Yeah, I was going to say, that's double the attendance for Chargers games, so that's pretty good. The Chargers are Carly Rae Jepsen. Now, the Broncos, Taylor. This might trigger some people also, but I just can't – I just – I can't let it slide. So the Broncos are you two, and (laughs) – I'll tell you why. <laughs> I already see it. It's because U2 is a shitty, overrated band that actually sucks, but somehow is extremely popular and has a lot of commercial and critical success, despite the fact that it actually sucks. Okay, so... I'm going to get my bingo card out for when you talk about Bono. <sighs> so I went on, I went on, you know, I was on Google the other day, you know, trying to get inspiration to answer this question for Corey. And I went on the Rolling Stone top 100 artists of all time. And Rolling Stone had U2 as the 22nd greatest artist of all time. Wow. I'm going to tell you some people, some bands, some groups, some artists oh, that U2 was listed ahead of. Okay. I don't like this, and and okay. just, just imagine this in the context of the Broncos and their fans. Okay. Yeah. And what they think of their own team. Yes. All right. U2 was ahead of The Who, Bruce Springsteen, <sighs> Prince. Nirvana, no. David Bowie, no. Michael Jackson. Did you just Johnny name the Cash. top ten that they had? That's the. I mean, oof. Elton John. Okay, the Eagles, Pink Floyd, Queen, The Doors, Cream, Tom Petty, The Supremes, Taylor. You two. Who was ahead ranked of you ahead? Two? All of these people. Okay, I, I don't. I don't even know because I. I had. Rage I had a quit. stroke when <laughs> yeah. I, read, I. I rage quit the internet. It makes me angry to think about the fact that people think U2 is actually good. Bono, he sucks. The Edge, their guitarist's name is The Edge, Taylor. Yeah. It's, that's, that's the name that he chose to go by. Mm. He also sucks. And I don't even know who else is in U2 because <laughs> they also suck. And the same goes for the Denver Broncos, Taylor. We'll bring it full circle here, right? Okay, Broncos fans, the national media, whoever it is, they, they talk about Bono is John Elway. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's what it is. That's, that's, that's the singular figure at the center of each of these franchises. Is Cross each- them off your bingo cards. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. <laughs> you were ready to go. I was. Listen, you two is terrible. The Broncos are terrible. And somehow people still think that they're good. That's the Broncos. The Raiders. This is easy. <laughs> I know you're a Vegas guy. Yeah. The Raiders are Tom Jones. Oh, that's just, that's just so good. They peaked 
They peaked 50 years ago. Real early, yeah. And then they moved to Las Vegas to live out their twilight years. Mm. Tom Jones. That's Chef's Las kiss. Vegas Raiders. It's good. So the Chiefs, Taylor, to be honest with you, I still haven't really made a choice here. If the only criteria here, I tried to go deeper than I'm just going to pick my favorite band to represent my favorite football team. For me, that would be my favorite band ever, The Who. For right. you, it would be... Um, yeah, I've gone back and forth on this. I, I guess a pretty safe answer here would be Red Hot Chili Peppers for me, but I've got some good contenders. Sure. But, you know, I wanted to go deeper than that. And I don't know that I quite got there. You know, the, the aging, the aging curve of bands is different than the aging curve of football teams. You know, the Chiefs obviously experienced a lot of early success, then went through some, some low periods before really hitting the highest pinnacle of success that anyone has ever achieved. Right now. And there's not a whole lot of bands that quite hit that mark. I thought about maybe Fleetwood Mac, which was a successful British blues band. And then their lead singer, Peter Green and creative force kind of had like a drug addled break from reality. And they decided to become a pop band instead. And they became like the best selling band of all time. Pretty much. Right. They have the best selling album ever, right. you know, Fleetwood Mac, that was kind of, you know, one I thought about, you know, another guy that's had a lot of success in a long career, Bruce Springsteen, whom I very much enjoy. But at the end of the day, Taylor, I don't think you really can compare a band with the Chiefs because there just isn't a band as perfect as Patrick Mahomes. We couldn't get up early, get into my car, drive on down to Dressel 8, it isn't all that far. 